1: so to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch.
0: $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com.
2: Hi, I'm Tom Daly, and this is Made With Love. As a pro diver, I thought I knew all about making the thing you love the thing you do. But en route to the Olympic podium, I found a new passion outside of the pool that helped me unlock my power within it. That passion was knitting. And you may think this sounds bonkers, but I believe knitting made me an Olympic champion. I've since swapped swimming trunks for slip stitches, pikes for patterns and chlorine for cables. Knitting is a huge part of my life now, and I'm determined to help others do more of what they love too. So each week, a brilliant guest will be joining me to talk about turning passion into purpose, how they've made the thing they love a central part of what they do, and crucially, what lessons they've learned along the way. Hello and welcome back to Made With Love. It's Tom here, and I know I say this every week, but I am genuinely thrilled to bring you my next guest because her work is making a real difference in this world that we're all sharing Munro Bergdoff is an activist, model, writer and broadcaster. In so many ways, she epitomises the idea that none of us are ever just one fixed and constant thing. And she used this to such beautiful effect. In fact, this is the whole premise of her book, because she believes we all transition. It's what binds us, not what separates us. In 2022, she made history by becoming the first trans woman to be on the cover of Cosmopolitan. And since then, she has also graced the cover of British Vogue and joined the iconic magazine as a contributing editor. Long before that, though, she made her name as a fierce defender of trans rights. She's a UN women changemaker, a founding consultant of L'Oreal Paris's UK Diversity and Inclusion Board and a proud ambassador of transgender youth charity Mermaids. As a person, though, Monroe is known for being someone who lifts as she climbs and who is ultimately hopeful about the world, despite some very painful experiences along the way. But where did it all start? How did she find activism? And how has she maintained love for what she does? We're about to find out. Monroe, thank you for joining me. It's good Thanks. to see you. It's
3: so good to see you. We always bump into each other. Uh... Really unexpected times, you know, so out and about, the out events. and about, out on the town. Yeah, so, yeah, it's great to see you. No, thank it's you so good much for having you. me.
2: Of course. I, well, first of all, I wanted to talk about your amazing new book that you have written, *Transitional*. Here, look at it. I love the cover of it. It's like so thank like you. that's gonna like pop on a bookshelf. Well, I hope so. And then you on the back. Look oh, at you.
3: Thank you. Green's thank my favourite colour, so you know, colour of life and all that.
2: Colour of life, mm. exactly. Why was now the right time for you to? write this book
3: i think god well i mean i'm in a really good place now so i think now is a really good time for it to come out but i wrote it throughout a really transitional moment in my life i Started the process in 2018, which is almost like five years ago. I can you wow. believe that's nuts? And I was going through so much in the media, so much personally. And then obviously going into the pandemic, which is the time that I wrote the majority of the book, that was such a tricky time, for, to say the least, for mm. all of us. Yeah. So I was really having to confront so much about what I've written in the book about my very eventful life, (laughs) Um, in isolation. And then uh, coming out of that, I still had to acclimatize, Mm. as we all did, with uh, life after the pandemic. Like now, I just feel like a whole different woman, whole Mm. different person. So now is the best time for it to come out, but... Also within the book I write a lot about what it was like growing up under section twenty eight, which is something that I think we can both relate to. How old are you? I'm twenty eight. Okay, well, yeah. I don't know. I, my maths isn't very I good, I think but... it was, like,
2: just on the way out.
3: Yeah, you were on the cast. Yeah,
2: because, like, the thing is, like, lots of things are going backwards, like, in Florida and with the Don't Say exactly. Gay Bill.
3: We're seeing so much of what happened in the 80s in the UK mm. underneath Margaret Thatcher's government with Section 28, which was some legislation that basically... Uh, made it illegal for homosexuality to be promoted or even talked about in schools and in public, which forced my generation of queer people, queer youth, to not be able to talk about our experiences, to basically live in an environment of shame, silence. Yeah, just kind of like a lack of dignity, mm. you know, it really made so many queer people think that, there was something really wrong with us, yeah, and we're just seeing that happen again with trans youth. So I think it's a really important time for it to come out to show that this is the impact that it can have, and mm. this can really set young people back yeah. in how they view themselves, but also how they move through the world. And we need to empower kids. We need to show them that they are, you know, good enough as they are, and that there's nothing wrong with being queer, trans, mm. black, yeah, any and anything that you know society sees as different how did
2: that make you feel growing up through school with all of that to deal with
3: yeah it was it was horrible I mean mm. I was really really bullied mm. in school it was it was really, really tough, yeah, it just really made me feel like I was the problem mm. that homophobia wasn't the problem because yeah. it normalized homophobia, if you demonize queer people then you make the oppression the normality yeah and that's really what we're seeing with regards to how transness is talked about in Mm. society transphobia is being seen as the normal opinion with a lot of people and we just can't allow that to happen because it won't only potentially cause people to lose their lives, it is causing people to lose their lives. We're seeing such elevated statistics with regards to trans youth self-harming or attempting to take their lives, and we can't allow that to be the normality. So I really hope that people read this book and understand that trans people are not an idea, we're Mm -hmm. not hypothetical, we're real. And when we're pushing against reality, which is what people are doing, and saying, no, trans people, aren't real that you know trans women aren't women um you know we need to look to society and we we need to look to sciences that reflect society so if biology is your go-to mm. with regards to invalidating trans people then look to social sciences and you can't say that people don't exist when they obviously do
2: they are existing exactly
3: and something and that have always existed yeah
2: exactly it? and one thing that really resonates with me on the front of your book it says transitional in one way or another we all transition yeah can you tell me a little bit about that because I feel like that is a really powerful statement for a lot of people to relate to thank
3: you so I also I start the book off with that that's sentiment and i end it with that sentiment and it just i i wanted to show that everything Mm. in society in the world has undergone some form of change Mm -hmm. what was a woman a hundred years ago is not a, what a woman is seen as today. Yeah. If you were to show a woman a hundred years ago what a woman is today, a lot of them would be like, mm, no, this is what a woman <laughs> is. And it's really down to individuality. You know, the way the way that we understand science, the way that we understand the world, the way that we understand each other, ourselves, is all an evolution. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's really important that we don't, resist change, that we work with it and that we allow people the dignity Mm -hmm. and uh, space to express themselves. Um, I talk about how sexuality has changed throughout history and how we need to move with that. So Mm -hmm. we foster a society that allows people to just live. Yeah. Because what's the alternative? Mm -hmm. If we're constantly saying, no, you don't exist. No, you can't go come into these spaces. No, you can't, you know, have kids. No, you can't get married. No, you can't, you can't, you can't. Then we're just pushing people out to the fringes. And when we do that, it puts people in harm's way. So really, ultimately we're advocating for genocide if we do that Mm. because people are gonna die. Mm -hmm. So we need to understand that society does change. And when you resist that, you're really resisting human beings. And you can't do that because it just... it it doesn't end well. We've seen that happen before. Um, We've seen it happen with, you know, segregation. We've seen it happen with people saying, no Jews here, no Black people here, no gay people here, no migrants here. And it it just never ends well. I don't want (laughs) to go into how it ends,
2: but we know how it ends. I mean, if you don't research history, like history always repeats itself. Mm -hmm. So how can we as allies be helpful towards the trans community and also within the LGBT community because that can be fractured in its own way also. Oh, absolutely.
3: And unfortunately, it is fractured. You know, we've seen LGB Alliance Mm -hmm. rise exponentially, which is really, really disheartening because our struggles are linked. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, the whole crux of Queer phobia is that we're all seen as gender traitors. Yeah. Gay men are seen as traitors to their gender because they're not attracted to women. Mm. Trans people are seen as gender traitors because we don't resonate with the gender that we were assigned at birth. We're all gender traitors in the eyes yeah. of, you know, the normative society. So I really think that this book is about togetherness yeah. and also recognizing difference in that. We don't need to pretend that we're all the same, but Mm. we also need to recognise that we are all the same. We're all humans, but there's difference within that.
2: And that's to be celebrated. Yeah, I think celebrating those differences is really important. I think even just going back to school and I remember from school, like I grew up in a classroom where I had in primary school. There were 24 girls and there were six boys. And I remember the first time I heard the word queer mm. or like someone's calling me gay was when I went into secondary school, when mm-hmm. there were older brothers and older si- like older siblings being like, oh, uh, you're gay. Or like, mm. oh, that's so gay. Mm-hmm. Or that's queer. And that was like a really derogatory yeah. term. And what I feel that's really powerful is I feel like, you know, the queer community has taken that derogatory yeah. word and like used it as self-empowerment. Do you think that's been a big shift being able to identify as queer
3: oh 100 it disarms the people that are trying to shame us it's so important i mean if you look at all words that have been reclaimed by communities Mm. it's empowering because you're taking it away from belonging to the people that are oppressing you and it's same with you know black i mean black was seen as it was a way to uphold whiteness Mm -hmm. and whiteness in itself is an oppressive structure because it's just accumulating loads of ethnicities that all have a a light skin complexion Mm -hmm. and just saying that these are the people that are you know the most um deserving of social power when we reclaim our power for ourselves and use the language that has historically been used to oppress us. I think it's something really joyous. And when you look at like the history of how that happened with HIV and AIDS activists in the 1980s with ACT UP, you you understand your history and your lineage and where Mm. you've come from you can look to history to make sure that it doesn't happen again and um empower new generations to move the needle forward so i've been blown away actually
2: in the last few years where i look back to when i was at school and we weren't taught anything about black history (gasps) i grew up in plymouth Uh and plymouth is like 98 percent white i i didn't have any black friends at school Uh and i never understood how systemically racist uh-huh. the uk is yeah and just being able to take the time to try and understand like i'm never gonna understand fully what mm. the experience of you growing up is but i feel like now people are really trying to start to listen i don't know if you've noticed the change
3: oh my god 100 percent. i think that we're coming on so far we've got so far to go Mm -hmm. Like you said, the issue is systemic. So Mm -hmm. even if society is moving forward with regards to the people, the Mm -hmm. way in which people are essentially indoctrinated within the school systems, Mm -hmm. the way in which... Businesses um, are run in the way that people have access to the services that they need. There's so much that needs revolutionizing. Uh, but it, yeah, it's, it's shocking. I mean, the fact that we're still seeing people protesting against what was being enforced in the 80s, you know, Mm -hmm. um, we're really seeing kids are now being taught about different family dynamics. Yes. Which was the whole reason why Section 28 was imposed in the first place. uh, Because a book was found in a library, which was talking about different family dynamics. And the fact that people are protesting against this now just shows that You know, we can't be complacent because when we become complacent, it just allows things to happen. So we need to make sure that we don't take things as static.
2: No, absolutely. I, my son, Robbie, he's four and a half now and he's at school. And I got uh, an email from the school saying just, and I'm assuming it went to everyone Mm -hmm. and not just me and Lance. We are, I think, the only gay dads in, in that year group. But we got a letter home saying this Term, we are going to be talking about different family types, single moms, single dads, same sex parents, queer families and teaching the children that they can be whoever they want to be mm. and love whoever they want oh. to love. And I, it made me kind of emotional to read because I was like, oh, my God, if I grew up in that space, yeah. how different my life would, I, would your life have been different if yeah. you weren't under Section 28? Like, imagine just going to school like that.
3: Absolutely. Because people don't realize that it's not just that you can't teach about it. If you can't teach about homosexuality, you can't say that homophobic bullying is wrong. Mm -hmm. So it goes into all sorts of territories. Kids can't talk about what they're experiencing because they're forced into an experience of shame. You think that the homophobic bullying that you are experiencing is normal yeah because you're the wrong one yeah so it's really important that we teach kids about the way that the world is so that they know that they have a place in it yeah absolutely and
2: growing up under that like i as a gay man i look back on my school and the way that i was taught that i was the wrong one i was the one on the outside I'm the Mm. one that shouldn't have fit in and you know i've had to deal with all kinds of my own trauma that brought with all of Mm. that like how difficult it was like how have you been able to stay like mentally resilient through all
3: of that well i haven't always mm. and i talk about that in the book and it, it really weighs very very heavily on you i mean i can't imagine what it was like for you to have to come out in the public eye that must have been so so tough mm. and thank god that i didn't have to do that but i you know the fact that we even need to come out is you know is is tough because I talk about this in the book as well I like what is that mm. you're, you're having to it's not necessarily having to announce that you're gay it's, you're announcing that you're not straight not cis yeah not
2: normal not in the, normal. Eyes of the public. Yeah.
3: yeah exactly so I think we just need to really change the whole way that we think mm. and talk about sexuality and you know what are we centering as the norm what are we you know saying to new generations about who they should be in the future mm. but uh, yeah I haven't always been mentally resilient. I think the the obstacles and the, the, the trauma has yeah. made me resilient in the end, but I shouldn't have had to go through yeah. that. You know, my resilience should be through empowerment yes. and through people showing me that I'm enough as I am, not me having to figure it out from constantly being belittled, berated mm-hmm. and torn down.
2: And I think lots of people think that you just come out once, and I don't know if you find this, but you find yourself coming out in certain ways mm. every day, mm-hmm. like whether you're having a conversation with a taxi driver, and they ask about your family, or like, how is your wife at home? And mm. I'm like, well, no, I don't have a... W-. And having to explain that every day, like, do you find yourself in the same position?
3: I do. I do. I, I find, you know, a lot of people just assume, assume that I just find men attractive because... I think a lot of people think that there's like a proximity within, you know, of trans women that they're doing it for a reason. Mm. Whether or not it's, you know, the the far rights idea that we're doing it to enter women-only spaces or we're doing it to deceive men or mm. we're doing it for anybody apart from ourselves. Yeah. So I think a lot of people are, not a lot of people, but when I have conversations with people and I say that I'm bisexual or pansexual, I think that they're just like, well, how does that work? And yeah. so because I am I fall in love with people. Yeah. There's nothing really else to it. <laughs> uh, and I think also
2: within the queer community, we often, you know, there's the LGBTQIA+, like there's so many different people Mm. within that that may go by different labels or may not want labels at all. Mm. I think it's also, there's the sexual orientation side and then there's the gender identity side within that community, but we often all get lumped under the same bracket. Mm. Now, would you be able to talk a bit on the differences between sexual orientation and gender identity?
3: So sexual orientation, sexuality is, is your sexual feelings. Mm. So it's who you're attracted to. Um, it's not what you do. Mm. You can be queer and not have sex, or you can be queer and in a heterosexual relationship but not be heterosexual. Yeah. And gender identity is how you see yourself and your gender, gender, Mm -hmm. um, how you express that gender identity, how you feel again. So these are both feelings. That's why it's frustrating when people want to separate that because at the end of the day, we're all being stigmatized for our feelings. Mm It's not really about whether or not you choose to transition. You're still trans, even if you don't transition. You're still queer, even if you don't act on your feelings. Um, I think that a lot of it is really reductive in saying that we are the product of our actions. Mm -hmm. We're not necessarily always, we are the product of what's going on inside and how we express that is our sexuality and our gender identity.
2: Absolutely. And going back to your childhood, like what were your dreams and aspirations then? Like what what made you tick?
3: Oh God, I had so many dreams when I was a kid. Mm. I, just, I wanted to be a different thing every week. <laughs> but eventually it all just boiled down to fashion. Mm. Fashion just seemed like a real space where I could be as creative as I wanted to be. I didn't know what I wanted to do in fashion. It, it ranged from photography to a journalist, yeah. to modeling, to designing. And I've kind of had my finger in all of the different pies mm. and I worked my way up. I started in fashion in 2010 Wow! and I was working in fashion PR. And then I left, and then I started DJing. And then I also worked in the magazine. I was worked as a stylist assistant, photography assistant. Um, so I kind of worked my way up, and then I started modeling, and then decided to incorporate activism into mm. it, because I just thought, there's no point in me being part of this unless I am using this Mm. platform because there were so few trans people in the industry anyway and I often found myself being shut out of spaces Mm. so yeah I really just thought it was a great opportunity.
2: I mean you say there were few trans people in those spaces like did you have any I mean you're a trans icon now for so many trans youth growing up like of what you've been able to achieve I mean author, podcaster, model, activist there's so much you do. Did you have any trans icons or role models to look up to when you were growing up?
3: Not when I was growing up, but kind of. When I was 18. I mean, it's a while ago. <laughs> <laughs> no, yesterday. <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't really think it was until I was 18 that I started mm. looking at trans other trans women without the aspect of shame, because I only really knew transness as tragedy. Mm. Um, I hadn't really had access to anything else to tell me otherwise really I remember when I was growing up and you know there was there was Hayley Cropper on Coronation Street who was a lovely character great actress but she wasn't trans and also she was in her mid to late 30s so wasn't really that relatable to me as you know a young Mm. mixed race kid who was also kind of like aware that there was something different For not having the language to put my finger on it. Yeah. Like if I had the option of just being a girl like that, then I would take it. Yeah. But I didn't have the language to understand where those feelings were rooted. And then there was Nadia from Big Brother, who was iconic. Uh, (laughs) stunning and incredible and so funny and she captured the imagination and love and the hearts of the nation but when she came out of the big brother house she was torn to shreds and Mm. like outed as being an ex-sex worker and i was just like whoa god like i i don't want that for myself and then i just instantly attached that to being trans not the transphobia yeah And then there was Miriam Rivera, who was in a uh, TV show called There's Something About Miriam, which was kind of like The Bachelorette, but guys would compete for her love, not knowing that she was trans. And then at the end, it was revealed that she was trans, and then all of the men sued the producers (sighs) for conspiracy to commit sexual assault. So all of these things were just telling me that there was something very wrong. about being trans and I internalized it and I shut it out and I was Mm. like no yeah and then once I got to university I started meeting trans people Mm. and I was like there are so many possibilities and I don't need to be scared of myself and I realized that I was scared of the potential of um you know just not being loved I was scared of all of these hypotheticals that weren't true it was just lies that I'd internalised mm. as my own voice. So, yeah, it's, it's really important that we have access to community. I think that that's what I learned from that. I didn't actually answer your question. Sorry, I went off on no, a tangent. Right. You're right. But the first time that I saw um, trans people on screen that I resonated mm. with was Octavia St. Laurent okay. on Paris is Burning. And that was oh, when I was 18. And I was just like, wow, yeah. people can be trans and experience joy we can have our own family dynamics we can have dreams we can achieve them we can you know just be ourselves and move through the world in the daytime yeah. and like all of these things that people take for granted and yeah so that was that was the very first time that I saw a trans woman on mm. on screen that I could see myself in
2: and there are more like tv shows i mean like pose which is based on that yeah. but and yeah. also like more mainstream places are recognizing trans success i mean mm. we look at the grammys with kim petras yeah. and sam smith you doing amazing work trailblazing work and what you're doing and When you first met a trans person, was it at university to be able to have those conversations?
3: Well, knowingly, I'm sure that I met many trans people and didn't even realize it, but... Consciously, my Mm. first trans friend yeah university and I met her I write about her in the book we meet at an after party a naughty after party after the club and (laughs) and um, she was just standing by the window and the sun was like blazing through and she just looked like (laughs) such a goddess and (laughs) someone came up to me and was like can you believe that that's a and I was just like oh "Mm." and then I was like no and like (laughs) i was like i'm pretty sure you shouldn't use that word and then um i was just like wow she's gorgeous and i realized that i just internalized so much negativity Mm. about what being trans is Mm. and that yes you don't need to be beautiful to be a trans woman it's not what it's about but it was just about the fact that she was just so bold Mm. and stunning in more ways than visual yeah and I was just like wow you haven't let life eat you up you've Mm -hmm. really made it work for yourself and I need to do this for me too how was that
2: having those initial conversations knowingly speaking to a trans person was that the first time you were able to start to air some of your feelings yourself
3: absolutely absolutely it was like a little secret that we had she knew that i was trans before i even said really yeah wow she knew it's always been obvious to be honest and i think so many people knew but she just kind of just held up a mirror Mm. and i was just like it, it took a long time for me to start my journey because I had so many questions Um, there was so much that I was working through. I had really poor mental health at university and I was struggling with eating disorders and substance um, abuse and just like lots of stuff that had happened in my childhood that I hadn't processed. I was just running away from a lot of things mm. and a lot of it was rooted in my gender identity not necessarily in my gender identity, but shame around yeah. my gender identity. So having that friendship really helped me to deal and confront with a lot of things. Mm. And it's so important. Is why it's so important that we all have access to community regardless of how we identify. It's important that we're surrounded by people who we can see ourselves in and that encourage us to be who we are mm. rather than to hide who we are
2: and that's as well like the importance of like having queer safe spaces mm. as well to be able to go to i know we go to places and <laughs> had our moments we our boogies. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like having those spaces are all the more important to be able to meet mm. like-minded people like people that are like going through the same things have had the same childhood Definitely. traumas like whether it's on varying scales but yeah sounds to me like meeting that friend was really what enabled you to accept yourself yeah and is that like I know for me when I came out I was so terrified I had everyone telling me you're going to lose all your sponsorship you're never going to have any fan base again and I just got to a point where I was like you know what I can't do this anymore Mm -hmm. I was in such a dark space Mm -hmm. and everything was a struggle I like quit diving I didn't know what I was going to do and I suddenly met my now husband and was like he for me was like oh this isn't just like a sexual fantasy of mine. This is this is who I am. Yeah. Like I can actually fall in love with someone yeah. and imagine happiness on mm-hmm. the other side of that. It's like the pursuit of happiness for me was in that relationship. Mm-hmm. And it was almost like everyone else's opinions I couldn't give a rat's ass about. Yeah. It was like, you know what? Like if you don't like it, lump it. Like mm-hmm. I'm going to be me. And that coming out moment was so terrifying, but then at the same time so liberating and like was there a moment for you like that while you were at university because i'm not quite sure when you officially decided that you wanted to start your
3: yeah it was was a long road for Mm. me but she was the spark Mm. and i think sometimes you just need that spark to set you on your way and it wasn't until I was 23 that I started hormones, and then I stopped because I freaked out. I was like, what oh, are really? these things? <laughs> <laughs> they came up quicker, I didn't have any adjustment time. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I stopped for like six months, and I was like, no, wait a minute. Mm. Wait a minute, this is this is right, I just wasn't ready. Mm. Um, and then, I think it was around the age of 24, within that six-month period that I just started it, and I never looked back after that. But, uh, yeah, it's so important, and I think that's why we need to, you know, meet each other regardless of who we're meeting. Mm. Like, meet each other as we are, and, you know, recognise that we're all on our own journeys. We're all just trying to do our best. Yeah. And, I don't know, I think the more people that I met, the more possibility I saw. Yeah. And... Yeah, just meeting more trans people. And I said, there's no one way to be trans, what? Yeah. So I don't need to just try and like shove myself into this narrow Mm. lane about what a trans woman is. I can just be. And I think that's what's been so freeing about seeing the non-binary community become so visible. It's just showing that there is no one way to present your gender identity. Mm. It's limitless. And so are the ways that you can express yourself and the way that you can define yourself. And ultimately, no one's business exactly it's just for us to define that's what that's what i never understood i was like
2: what how does it affect you Mm -hmm. like come on like we like everyone here is just trying to live everyone's just trying to do the best that they can like has that been a frustrating thing for you to be able to feel seen and feel validated in like in your own existence
3: yeah because transitioning is so visual Mm -hmm. when Someone comes out as trans, it just invokes so many opinions because it's just yeah. right there. With sexuality, it's almost like it's easier to be in the closet. Yeah. Because. I don't know, I think a lot of people just see sexuality as what you do rather than how you feel and who you are as a person. But then when you're like transitioning and it's so visual, people have opinions on it. People love to ask you a lot of questions, yeah. Um, often that you don't have the answers to yourself. A lot of people have uh, opinions about what being trans is when they're not trans themselves. So it's it's very, very difficult and it's quite undignifying mm. a lot of the time the whole process of transitioning is very undignified in this society, in this environment that we are in. Our healthcare system is in free fall. Mm-hmm. We are having having to often prove to people who aren't trans that are medical professionals that we're trans. Really? By their definitions of what being trans is. Yeah. What 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 do you have to prove? Like if you're Well, in the initial sense, you go to your GP who often isn't trans to say that I am trans and then they refer you to a psychiatrist and then they're often not trans, yeah. having to say, please refer me to the gender identity clinic. Then you go to the gender identity clinic and then they're not trans. Ugh. And then to get a gender recognition certificate, you need to prove your transness to a panel of medical professionals who aren't trans Um, and then you know we're having legislation be formed on our lives by people in government who aren't trans so it's very very frustrating how little we're consulted about forming this legislation forming policies that have an impact on our everyday lives and then when policy is passed as what we saw in Scotland Mm -hmm. to help make our lives easier it's blocked because it's said that it's in direct competition or direct conflict with equality laws when we know that it's not
0: one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes.
1: Nice dress. Uh it's a it's a t-shirt.
0: Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare.
2: I'd love to talk to you a little bit more about like your work and all of the things mm-hmm. that you do. And you know, you said you started off more as the like as behind fashion the assistant behind yeah. the scenes, yeah. And then you got launched in front of the camera, yeah. if you like. Like, how
3: was that whole
2: experience?
3: Oh uh, yeah, it was. It was really interesting. My first big campaign was for a brand called Uniqlo, which was with was shot by Rankin, actually. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, wow. really, yeah, really great and then i started working with nick knight who is another one of my big fashion heroes and then i got shot by david bailey so i was working with some really really big photographers mm-hmm. right at the beginning of my career but i wasn't really allowed to say that much until uniqlo yeah and in that, I got to really express my thoughts about being trans in London, which is probably one of the best places to be trans in the UK. We've got a great mayor who um, is really pro-trans um, and fights for better safety for trans people on public transport, which we've seen can be a contentious area for people. I mean, I've been spat at oh on, gosh. on public transport. I've been sexually assaulted, harassed on public transport, followed home, So, you know, trans people really do face a whole series of um, issues on public transport. And it's really important that we understand the lived experiences. And again, like in this book, that's why I wrote it, because we're constantly hearing about trans people. But a lot of people don't know what it's like to be trans. Mm. So if we're fighting constantly to push people out of spaces, then we're really harming people.
2: Absolutely. And I know that you were also face of a campaign for L'Oréal. I want to just list some of the things that you've done. Your first trans person on the cover of Cosmo, is that correct? And you also did the cover of Vogue in September 2020. Mm -hmm. Like some amazingly iconic things. Thanks. Uh, But what was it that made you not just want to model and stay behind the scenes and then become such an incredible activist for not just the trans community, but also against racism in this country and beyond?
3: I don't really know. I think I I really started with activism because Mm. it was a way for me to express some of the frustrations that I felt with society And then with fashion, you know, what other industry are women and gay men Mm. at the helm? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I I mean? Making the decisions. So it really felt like a space where I could bring some change and trans women have been inspiring the fashion industry for time and we've been here you know looking back at all of the catwalks and shoots that I was inspired by I didn't Mm -hmm. even realize it but trans women were right there you know Connie Girl was walking for Mugler Mm -hmm. there was uh, Tracy Africa on the cover of um, hair dye boxes for Mm -hmm. Revlon there was you know Andrea Pajic was like challenging ideas about androgyny and you know we we've been there but a lot of opportunity just hasn't been there yeah so very few and far between and i just thought if i've got this opportunity and if my platform's building do i just want to take it for myself or do i actually want to use this as a platform to use what i'm passionate about which is activism Mm -hmm. and also use it to educate people. That makes my life easier you know, in the yeah. long run. But also it makes other people's lives mm-hmm. easier too. And I didn't, I've never wanted to just be the only one, you know, mm-hmm. what a lonely life.
2: No, exactly. So
3: if I can help facilitate change or foster change then i won't be the only one we can like you know bring the community into the industry and i hope that i've helped to do that um there's so many people that have you know fought for me to be able to have these opportunities Mm -hmm. and i'm so 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 thankful like you know octavia saint laurent in paris is burning i'm pretty much living her dream Mm. But I wouldn't have the the gall and the gumption to yeah, go for exactly. it if I hadn't have seen her. Yeah, 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 yeah. So we're really passing the baton consistently. And then I'll get so far by the end of my life, and then I'll pass the baton, yeah. and then there'll be, you know, uh, more trans girls going for their dreams. I mean, I actually, I did a, a on my MTV show, we had a guest, um, Yasmin Finney from yes. Heartstopper, and she said that I was the first trans woman that she saw on television that she could see herself in. and you know, like that just means so much to me because Mm. she's obviously inspiring a whole new generation. Yeah, I just think it's beautiful how we can inspire each other and just progress things.
2: Yeah, it's so interesting when you say about everyone behind the scenes, and the queer, queerness behind the scenes that gets suddenly seen on the big screen. And Mm. like, like, I mean, I just think about, you look back into like rock and roll in like the 70s and the 80s and like, the people behind that like you know the the rock and roll artists that are out there with like makeup and long mm. hair and be, like being able to just be like really express themselves through yeah. fashion i think it's something that's really quite amazing to be honest um one thing i wanted to talk to you about as well was trans pride mm-hmm. and how that is starting to mm. build momentum mm-hmm. right and how important is it to you for everyone to show up for all minorities
3: It's so important. It's so, so, so important. Trans Pride is one of the most amazing things to come out of our community Mm -hmm. recently. I love it. Yes. Um, And the fact that more and more people come every single year and, you know, the big proportion of it are allies. Yeah. The trans community are 0.5% of the population, we're tiny, Mm -hmm. and we need support, we need allyship. You know, you can, there's so many different ways to be an ally, and I think it's really about just utilising what you're good at, Mm -hmm. whether or not that's access, whether or not that's art, Mm -hmm. or organisation funds. Yeah. Um, you could use your platform, mm-hmm. you know, spotlight people, um, uh, mentorship. Mm-hmm. There's so many different ways to be an ally. And it's not just limited to, you know, time and money. Yeah. I think it's really about harnessing your skill set. Mm-hmm seeing activism as a machine, and everybody playing different parts. Because if we're all just doing the same thing, yeah. and if we're all just seeing activism as taken to the streets, that is important, but that's only just a tiny yeah. part about what's going to bring out the change. Yeah,
2: yeah no, exactly. I've, I've always been away for Trans Pride, but like, hopefully I'm here this year. And <gasps> Let's I wanna go cut. together. I know, and I was like, you were like saying, oh, like, you've got to do something that you're good at with it. I was like, I'll knit you a dress. <laughs> <Hearing> <laughs> yes. Yes. A Tom with, Daly yeah, original. Yeah, yeah, exactly. A Tom <laughs> Daly original dress. In It'll... the
3: Trans Pride colours. Yes
2: oh my gosh, that would be, I mean, that's, that's the thing though. Like I feel like building those bridges between communities Mm -hmm. is so important because as soon as you start having, you know, divides and fractures within the Mm -hmm. LGBT community, it's like a, we're fighting against our own. Like we want to be able to lift everyone up because I think if we think that, the government is just going to stop at trans rights. Like we have got a whole nother Mm -hmm. thing coming. Look at history, how Mm -hmm. it repeats itself. It's important to be there.
3: It's absolutely important to be there. It's, you know, if you you, um, are listening to this and you want to come to London Trans Pride, look up London Trans Pride on Instagram. There's obviously protests throughout the year because, you know... UK Tories. But (laughs) it's also um, a really joyous event, I think. And the march is beautiful, goes through central London, and it's just really, really energizing. And I think it just brings it back to what pride should be. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, what has come to be known as gay pride, which um, should be LGBT pride, has become quite corporate and complacent, as so many of our community have accessed privileges within Mm -hmm. society. But at its heart, pride is a protest. And I think that it should really be honoured as such. Yeah.
2: So when you say pride being protest, like how do we take those pride protests and create real tangible change?
3: Oh, God. Well, I That's mean,
2: a loaded question. But
3: <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, it's it's a starting point, really. I think that, you know, it, it, it depends on like what Protest what um, pride you're going to, but with the speeches, especially at London Trans Pride, I think that that's really time to take stock about the different ways in which transphobia is impacting the mm-hmm. community. Um, I think that seeing pride as more than a party mm-hmm. is a great starting point. Yeah. I think going to talks, going to uh, speeches, understanding uh, the different ways in which you can, you know, show up if you're an ally to the community. Protest is really about disruption and making noise. But again, it's a starting point. It needs to be going into everything. I think you need to take what is being talked about, the protest, and what is being protested, and look at how it's being implemented in the world around you. Look at how the policies of your workplace are functioning. Look at how the uh, syllabus of your school is being taught, Mm -hmm. look at how, you know, even in your media community about who's being taunted or teased, who's struggling and try to help them get the help that they Mm. need. I think it's really about understanding that this isn't just happening over there, it's happening everywhere. And we can be the ones to change it. And
2: what does activism bring to you personally?
3: It brings me satisfaction in knowing that I'm purpose to my community. Mm -hmm. I, you know, sometimes feel a little like it weighs heavy on my shoulders Mm. because not a lot of trans people get the opportunities that I do and I really try to spotlight other people, to make sure that, you know, people are aware of the work that they're doing, especially people who don't have big followings that are helping to uh, change legislation that's impacting our lives, like Good Law Project, like, you know, Lady Phil, who runs UK Black Pride, incredible, Um, and not just trans people, but like people that are facilitating safe spaces, for us as well, mm-hmm. so that other trans people can meet each other yeah. and access community that we all deserve. You know, there's Chase Strangio who is pushing against so many of the anti-trans bills in America, uh, especially you know the "Don't Say Gay" bills uh, as well. So I, I, I just think it's really just it's just so important to me. Yeah. I just want to leave this world better than I found it. And I don't want younger people to go through what I went through.
2: Mm. Yeah, no, I like, and I know I can appreciate how much, like you say, it weighs on you as an activist, because I think that's one of the reasons why LGBT people in sport don't often come out is because if you come out and you're already in the public eye, there's almost Mm. this pressure on you to be an activist and fight for those changes. So, yeah, I can understand how that's been incredibly, you know, weighing on you. Yeah, before we get onto the Made With Love letter, uh-huh. what would you consider to be your greatest achievement?
3: Oh, wow. My greatest achievement is just living as myself and getting to, I, I guess, like happiness. Yeah. Because it hasn't always been a given. And it really has been able to blossom under the most tough circumstances. And I really fought for it. Mm-hmm. So... When I wake up happy and I go to bed happy, that's an achievement for me. Yeah. Just because I've had so many struggles with mental health, with... I don't want to list them. Read the book. (laughs) (laughs) Buy the book. (laughs) Exactly. Get it. (laughs) There's been a lot of struggles. Yeah. Um, So I think it's really a miracle that I'm A, happy and B, alive. So, you know, happy and breathing are my biggest achievements. I mean, there's been... You know, I'm in a very, very fortunate position to say that there's been more blessings professionally than I can count. Mm -hmm. And I feel very, very, very proud of them because it hasn't just been for me, you know, to be the first trans woman on Cosmopolitan, to be the first Black British trans woman on the cover of Vogue, and to, you know, speak at the UN, to work with the UN, to be a contributing editor of British Vogue. You know, all of these things I don't take lightly because often I'm the first. I don't see it as like, right,
2: I'm the
3: first, that's it. I'm like the door mm-hmm. for other people to come in. Yeah. And because it's been done before, I'm setting a precedent. Yeah. And it's not about me necessarily. It's about us. And yeah. I want other people to be like, well, she did it, so yeah. so can I. Yeah. I did that so someone else can do that and then someone else can do it and then someone else can do it and then it's a wave. Yeah,
2: absolutely. And I think that's the amazing thing, like the gratitude that other people are going to have for you, like paving the way in that way, like you have gratitude for the people that came before you. I guess that leads me on to the Made With Love letter. Mm So, each guest at the end of the podcast, I ask them to either write a letter, say a little bit about a person, mm-hmm. place, or a thing that has made them with love, like a mm-hmm. little token of gratitude. Mm-hmm. So, I would love for you to talk a little bit about that person, place, or thing. Okay. Oh, wow.
3: I would like to write a letter to my. English lecturer. Why is it with queers and English I know, teachers? all the English teachers. What I is know.
2: with it? My English teacher used to give me a classroom to lock myself in during lunchtime when people used to oh, throw say. things at me at
3: lunchtime. I had no friends. Yeah, I know. I <laughs> just went into the classroom and read British Rogues so I didn't have to read in the toilet <laughs> cubicle. <laughs> anyway, so Dr Jess Moriarty, thank you so much. And I know that you're listening to this because you're my biggest fan. Um, thank you so, so much for seeing that i was struggling and also showing me that i didn't have to um a little context for the listener i i had quite severe anorexia at university and i was also just punishing myself unnecessarily because i didn't want to confront a lot of the things that really were actually a source of power uh, that i'd been told was not normal and i felt very very ashamed but I just wanted to say thank you, Jess, for showing me that I didn't have to own that pain, that that pain wasn't mine to have. It was a symptom of a society that is very sick. And I just wanna say thank you. I wanna show some love for the fact that I could take that pain and I could turn it into something positive. And hopefully that's what I've done. I truly believe that without your love and support, and also fostering some discipline in me to show that this is my life and this is my future and that I need to fall in love with it. And uh I'm truly, truly grateful. So thank oh. you so much.
2: Oh, we love you. We love Jazz. Looks so Yeah, that's, she's incredible. That's amazing. I feel a little <laughs> teary now. Oh no, that was so that was so that was so special. And like she's gonna hear that and be so like blown away it's gonna it's gonna be amazing but i have a little something for you to close out the episode and i have two here i think this so at the end of each episode when i see people in person i like my passion and thing that i love to do every day is knitting yeah and you you're passing on like experiences to other people so i have a little knit kit for you oh my god i mean you may not be able to knit but we can have a little knit club and oh, so... Oh
3: my God, look at me! I know, they're
2: cute <laughs> So it's a little knit kit to make your own little hat. If why it, am i holding it like chopsticks, chopsticks. <laughs> you know you can you can use them as chopsticks if you're not going to knit as well so when you're having your sushi Ooh. you've got it you yeah. know this
3: is the good wool. oh yeah it's, it's a good, good daily wall
2: oh yes yeah 100 percent merino there oh amazing mm, lovely,
3: lovely. so yeah it's thank got you so much darling everything
2: in there you need to make your own oh. lovely little hat but yeah thank you so much for coming on it's been no, an absolute pleasure to chat to you i'm um, just before you go what are your hopes for the future to close it out
3: Hope for my future, more balance. I think. Yeah, I've just got my fun back. Yeah, I really lost it after the pandemic. I think a lot of us did. Yeah, in not really knowing how to be in public and not knowing how to function in this new world. But I've got it back. Good. And um, we've we've seen each other out. We've had fun together. Oh yeah, we've been doing so, it. Yeah, I I think just you know recognising that I am not an idea, I'm not just mm-hmm. an activist, I'm not just a model, I'm not just anything, I can do it all, and, mm-hmm. you know, just balancing it all and just taking life.
2: Bergdorf getting her balance back, all yes. the alliteration. Period. <laughs> we love it, we
3: love it. Thank you so much again. <laughs> oh, by the way, yeah. fun fact. Go on. You know that we've got the same last name?
2: <gasps> no way. Mm-hmm. See, you, you, really, spelt the same as well? Yeah. That is... I've, we like, could be related. Oh my gosh! In imagine weird way. <laughs> I mean, the the funny thing is, I really quite often meet lots of dailies. Yeah, it's Irish, isn't it? Yeah. Also Irish or Jamaican. Well, I'm Jamaican. Really? So, so when I, I went to Jamaica to do a
3: documentary last year to speak to some yeah. queer people
2: living there, and yeah, th- I met so many
3: dailies. It's it's a real wow. thing. It's obviously through. Um you know colonial era yeah, yeah 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 but um you know um miss dynamite as well her last name's daily no Anna Carla. oh my god we could
2: all be related imagine let's do a family reunion <laughs> <laughs> i love it wow that's a nice interesting fact close it out yeah look at that miss Daly. <laughs> <laughs> oh too much I'm right tired. we need to leave now thank
3: you so much darling <laughs>
2: thank you thanks again to munro but we wouldn't have a podcast if it wasn't for you listening so a huge thank you to you as well it was a joy but we did touch on some big topics today so if you're struggling with any of this please know you are never alone we are all about love on this show and there is love out there for you so if you need some help or guidance there are some links in the show notes to charities that will be able to help you or connect you to wonderful like-minded people made with love was hosted by me tom daly produced by Emma Roberts for Spiritland Productions, and our engineer today was Ed Gill. I've got another episode coming your way next week, so I hope you can join me then.
0: Ciao. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time.